Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Tetra Hearing. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where the host and guests discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience as a field, and to share our members' stories. Welcome back, everybody. This new episode of Turkey Call All Access podcast, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. This week, big sky country bound. We're heading to Bozeman, catching up with my buddy Ben O'Brien. We're talking about his new projects, new podcasts, all sorts of stuff going on in his world. I'm excited to bring part of that story to you all and and so much more. We're catching up with Ben O'Brien. 90 seconds. Let's go. Hey, y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation and their podcast hosted by my longtime buddy, Fred Berg. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Turkey hunters find everything you need to succeed at sportsmansguide.com. From decoys and calls to apparel, boots, and blinds. Plus, Sportsman's Guide has much more than just hunting gear, from fishing, camping, and adventure to family barbecues and backyard bonfires. For everything you love about the great outdoors, you'll find it all at Sportsman's Guide. Shop sportsmansguide.com today. I forget which one it was before, but it was more intricate, um, and I had to use a board. Yeah, me too. And I don't like using a board because I'm not that tech savvy. I'd rather just have it all in one. And that's why I'm excited for a studio because I got I got the same thing. It's like stands and these big mics and some tables. Right, it's too tall. Some is too short. So I'm like, dude, if I could just get somebody to walk in a room and say, "Sit down." Yeah. Like, let's record. So we had we had a uh, podcast. Uh, like a four square booth area convention and, and Pete Mueller had that last year too. Yeah. And uh, so all these guys came in with all their cool boom arms and all this like <clears throat> awesome looking stuff. And I'm like, I'm rolling with this here. And I'm like, <laughs> but I get calls from buddies. They're like, your audio is some of the best audio I've heard. I'm like, Oh good. Me and my simplicity. <laughs> keeping it real. So. That's the good thing about podcasts. It's like people are, they're very lenient about audio. They're not going to kill you if it sucks. Well, and it just goes to show you don't need to, uh, you don't need to have all the latest yeah. and greatest and thousands of dollars invested in this stuff either. Yeah, but it's more like if you have a room where you can sit down and nobody's going to bother you. I was, uh, <laughs> the last time I did a hotel interview, I was with Kevin Miller. Uh, he's a former Boston Bruin and he lives down in Park City or outside of Park City. And I was staying at a, place like this I said we'll just set up you know right in the little area and uh you know by virtue of camera and mics like 
people will figure it out. Nope. Friggin' housekeeping <laughs> came in and like right to his big toe with a vacuum. I was like, we're, we're really doing a vacuum break. This is, this is insane. Like you have no, no boundaries. Um, no, no, excuse me, miss. I'm uh, doing a podcast. Could you not vacuum the toes of the guest? Even if she didn't know I was doing a podcast, it was like, obviously we're, we're doing something here. Like we're not just two jerks just sitting here pretending to, you know, play, uh, play news or something. Uh, I should do that for my studio. Just hire somebody to come in with a vacuum just to see what the guest will do. It's the, the new hook. Yeah. See, oh, we got to go. The vacuum is here. Wow. Just, That's just it. hit the button on the side of the desk. We got to go. It's not, it's not working out. This is, I'm, I'm pulling teeth out of a chicken. And I'm not getting a <laughs> good conversation. Hit the vacuum button. Let's go. Well, I'm talking with Ben O'Brien about all things podcasting oh here. Oh my gosh, here we are. Bozeman, Montana, the Holiday Inn Express West. <laughs> Could we get it? Yeah, I was thinking that you maybe this podcast could get be sponsored by the Holiday Inn. I think it's a great get. This is, I mean, the decor here is lovely. Uh, the wallpaper, this this nineteen eighties kind of chair vibe. I'm I'm digging it. Textured paper, speckled walls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I will apologize. I'm 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 building a studio right now that's not too far from where we're sitting, but it's just not ready yet. So next time you come, I'm excited for it. We we just had the, a nice bite to eat downtown and. Uh, Man, we had so much great conversation. I'm kind of I'm like, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> it's always good when you do that beforehand. You can always say, well, we were, remember we were talking at dinner yeah, yeah. Uh, when people weren't there listening? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, Maybe when the new studio comes, I'll, I'll decorate it exactly like this. And then we can we can reminisce. It's nice. The, the Holiday Inn. Yeah, for real. I feel like I'm making a FBI undercover, <laughs> undercover like in Casino or something. One of the old films. <laughs> No, it's oh. good to be here at the Holiday Inn. We yeah. we appreciate you, Holiday Inn, for providing a quiet place for us. To yeah, that that's key. Quiet podcast. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate you making the time. I know your schedule got busy, and uh, we're still here. So yeah, you got a lot of cool stuff going on. Some projects upcoming. Some changes professionally. Yeah. Lots to talk about. Um, first and foremost, is turkey season. It is. It's cool. here, man. Talk I about am that. leaving tomorrow morning on my first. Well, I'm going to Texas, spend a couple of days in the office. And then, um, yeah, this weekend, this Saturday is the first turkey hunt of the year. Yeah. What's that look like for you? I am going. I had a we have a big all that hunt plan with a couple of buddies of mine in Texas. And um, I just said, uh, we can't hunt in April without at least considering turkeys. Right. And so they said, well, we're going to be close. The south zone of the Texas opens this weekend. And the north zone, I think, is a couple of weeks later. So we're literally going to be driving through a couple of really cool ranches to get to our audit spot. I was like, well, let's come a couple of days early. Let's spend a weekend turkey hunting. Get get that under our belt. And it's, it's hard for me to do anything in April or May right, or that's March. Not that's not turkey centric because I get a little bit antsy. So we're going to double it up. We're going to turkeys over the weekend. And then next week we're going to go. Texas fascinates me, man. I, I feel like every time I talk to someone that's familiar with it that hunts it, I, I can never learn enough. Yeah. It's is, is it just like exotics and stuff like Audad and, and Black yeah. Buck? Is it just open season on them or how's that work down it there? It is. Yeah, it is very much open season on them. For, so if it's an exotic game species you buy a license you get an exotic yeah i guess you could call it a tag but you could you know an exotic comes with your regular general license and you can within the game regulations hunt any time of year axis deer uh neil guy odd dad anything that's that's exotic technically and i have so many stories about it. i was turkey hunting down there one time on a buddy's ranch it was a high fence ranch and I'm hunting. I'm like, I'll hunt turkeys anywhere. High fence ranch. Sure. Let's call it. They can fly over that fence. And so we get we get down there. We're hunting. 
And as I'm, I'm crawling up, I'm going down this sendero. It's this long stretch of open in this brush country. And I'm kind of, there's a bird gobbling at the end of it, probably 500 yards away. And I'm just kind of slinking my way across, glassing him, watching him. And I hear this, like, some commotion. And I turn around and there's an eland, which is a, the largest African yeah. antelope. Yeah. This is a thousand pound animal just slinking through the brush right behind me. Well, it turns out that the uh, the owner of the ranch had a he had a I want to say he had a leopard, a Bengal tiger, and what else he have? Other like baboons and other things that were part of his private collection. But he had a pet eland, and this eland was following me, like it was it was following me like a puppy through the woods. I had to shoo it away. Was he looking for a handout? Thought he was going to get fed? Thought he was going to probably thought he was going to get fed. Yeah. And so I went and shot that turkey. Went back to the lodge and got to meet this tiger. Somewhere I have a photo of me with a selfie with a Bengal tiger and dead turkey. Just for just for a little bit of like, oh, here's the vibe in Texas. This is what it's like. And that's that's not the first time that's happened to me or last. It is it is it's a landscape where you just don't know what you're going to see. Is it like that throughout the entirety of the state or is it particular to one area? Or, well, it's or it's kind of, yeah, man, it's kind of ubiquitous. It It's not like you're going to run into one area is full of exotics and one that isn't. I mean, it's such a, it's a, such a private land, you know, parcel mm-hmm. by parcel, okay. ranch by ranch situation that I've been in West Texas and, and place like Del Rio and run into uh, zebras and Audad and name pick one. I've been in the hill country right outside of Austin, not too far from Urban Center, and saw a bongo, which is the East African. Really? Yeah. I was with a buddy of mine. Aren't they like jungle critters? East African jungle animals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're a hunter, that's a very rare thing to go chase. Yeah. And I was riding with a buddy when the first, I lived down there when I was working for Yeti, and we were riding to go hiking at this, you know, little state park, and we pass on the side of the road, is in the bar ditch, is a bongo. Wow. I'm like, that's a bongo. And he goes... Yeah, you see those. I said, no, you don't see those. You don't see those at all. <laughs> That's not something you see. That's, no. As a hunter, that is like a top of the level trophy animal that you pay many tens of thousands to go and That's pursue. Crazy. So that is Texas. I mean, it kind of, for lack of a better way to describe it, they've kind of bucked the trend on our model of wildlife conservation. Well, you know? right. But I've also heard um, parts of or certain species in Texas have better numbers in their indigenous habitats. They do. They do. So I, I don't know if that speaks to or a subset of the North American <laughs> model of conservation, but someone has put a value on them That's and has been able to conserve them and, and make them procreate and they're they're doing their thing. True. Yeah. I mean you can't argue you can't argue the numbers game. Certainly in in, in on the continent of Africa and some African countries, this is the, also the truth. The truth mm. is Conservancies and in, in the in Africa and South Africa and Namibia and places conservancies have allowed was conservancy is just a bunch of ranches to get together and go hey we all agree we're going to conserve this wildlife and manage yeah. it thusly I think that's a big part of Texas um, it's got it's good it's got it's bad it's got it's strange it definitely has this kind of a strange, strange way and living here in Montana you could never imagine there being a high fence ranch over here by the Bridger Mountains. Where there was zebras running around. Yeah, no. Every once in a while, uh, you know, when the ranch got sold, some zebras would get out, and then they would be just walking around, and you could kill a zebra in the Galta National Forest. That would not be that's wild. Would not be allowed. <laughs> would not be a thing that we would do. And so it is different. But I, I, I'll tell you, I've said this before. My favorite turkey state is Texas. Yeah. Why? There's tons of turkeys. Yeah. 
number one. And most landowners to this point do not care because turkeys, turns out, don't have antlers. Last I checked. (laughs) And so the people just don't, the landowners just don't care. And there's turkeys everywhere. And they're kind of, they have a a lower on the totem pole value, certainly in the hierarchy of importance to Texas landowners. They're quite often low. So people are, and Texas folks are friendly as could possibly be. So I probably have, I don't know how many via friends and and co- colleagues and coworkers and people down there. I don't know how many ranches I have access to that are amazing places uh, for turkeys. And so I feel I feel like if you can get plugged in down there, even though there's no public land, and and for a Montana and somebody living in Montana, it seems like a foreign land. It is. There are turkeys everywhere, and it's the perfect time. I mean, I'm saying this is we're going to start hunting them on March 19th down there. So there's certainly that, and you can kill. With a general license, you get four turkey tags. Mm. And so it's hard to argue against that. Aren't we lucky? But, I mean, I think, uh, you know, as far as a, a Texas, Texas turkey hunter goes, that's, uh, I guess, check in our favor, you know, as far as access goes and, and you know, right. the value, I guess, placed on those versus what our little subculture of uh, turkey hunters places on them. Um, but that's certainly changing across the country yeah. um, yep. and then I think uh, land leasing is different for me because we don't have it in the Northeast um, it's, it's a dirty word I prefer it not come in <laughs> we're like the last bastion of freedom where we still have the colonial uh, traditional land sharing traditions that goes back to our founding um, it's it's eroding but we still have it in the top three states and, and most of Massachusetts west of the 495 belt and don't most timber um, companies allow you to just hunt yeah yeah, un- yeah. Unabated basically if it's not posted uh, you can play on it and yeah. that that holds true in Maine where a lot of those timber yeah. uh, land are held and then uh, paper mill companies um, buy up there so for me you know, especially as I have my own pursuits, we were talking about a dinner, traveling the country. And that's a hard thing for me to, first of all, just to line the hunt up, my travel, and then be the logistics of knowing what boundaries I kind of stay within, because normally I don't have those. So uh, what I'm saying is, you know, especially in a place like Texas, where if the landowners don't value them, uh, lucky us, but people are catching on. Yeah, right. And it's not going to last long. That's right. Yeah, because because Texas is 99 point something percent private land. Texas Parks and Wildlife has to work to educate the landowners, has to work to manage that habitat at scale, right? Because it's really about messaging to the landowners what kind of habitat they have, you know, what was important for turkeys and, you know, in in the different, like in the hill country, man, you got rolling hills, you got a lot of riparian zones. It's like really good turkey habitat. You get into South Texas, it's just mesquite country for miles and miles. I mean, a roosting tree. I've hunted ranches where it's 40,000 acres with five roosting trees and one creek where the turkeys mm. are. And so in that in that way, the predation gets concentrated. Sure. The the hunting gets concentrated. So it's it's really easy to to really damage a flock of turkeys in a in one season. Um, certainly, this last year the hunt the ranch I hunted on is just like that. It's 40,000 acres. They have one creek right by the ranch house. It has, if I was to say like two flocks of turkeys, maybe, you know, 50, 60 turkeys, probably eight mature toms each year. So if you were to go in there and have two hunters fill their four tags, you're done. Yeah. It's over. And so we went there last year and they had a combination of a real, a ton of um, uh, illegal immigrants coming across the border, spooking turkeys, messing with blinds, a huge amount of that. You couldn't sit there for more than, 
30 minutes without seeing what were they doing in the blinds like trying to camp in them or yeah just... they go get they jump in the blinds just for safety just for really to rest yeah yeah it's, it's oh my god so you hunt on roads and senderos and yeah. so there was last year I, where i shot my turkey in this ranch in south texas i mean it's probably three miles from the border roughly there wasn't a day that goes by we didn't see somebody that was crossing illegally and then there wasn't another a moment that didn't go by where i wasn't hunting a turkey that a helicopter a border patrol helicopter didn't go over my head or we didn't see a truck or they were certainly polite to us as turkey hunters and you know they knew that's what they knew they knew who you were that was my next oh yeah they know they 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 have they're basically inhabitants of the ranch like they're they're there all the time so they know what's what but i mean that's that's one big part of it um, the rest of it is it's 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 just a very concentrated situation, and that's Texas is such a big state. Unlike a lot of where you where you're in yeah. New England, it's such a big state that you're probably dealing with eight to ten different types of key habitat sure. turkeys. Yeah, yeah. And so I would imagine I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine if you're the Texas Parks and Wildlife Agency, you have to educate each one of these regional landowners and what what does a turkey want? Why do why are turkeys you know, a keystone species, why do you need them on the landscape and how can you value them and how do you keep them around and keep them away from your eland or whatever, (laughs) (laughs) whatever you're going to do. And so it is a different way. It's a different, you know, it's such a big place. Um, It's such a different way of managing wildlife and it's such a different set of values that, that I can't imagine that's an incredibly important state for turkeys and for hunters. And so, um, I love it. I love the access and the people and just the way they, the way we hunt turkeys down there. But I can see it being problematic. I mean, you know, understanding the different dichotomy that's there. Yeah. We're just, I don't know if they're wrapping up because of the, the you know, the air figure quote trapping season of turkeys is pretty much coming to an end. Right. But there's been a, a few shipments of birds out of, out of Maine uh, into East Texas and, yeah. and done releases, which is pretty exciting stuff. And, yeah. um, it's been fun to kind of chronicle that and watch along with that that restoration project. So hopefully all good things there. Do you ever get over that side of the state or you know, I want to say no. Most most of my hunting has either been has been west of Houston. Um, but again, like I said, the regionality of that state. Yeah. I mean, you could there are some states that are like this. I think Florida's like this. If you if you cut it kind of north to south, there's different regions, right? right there's different right. ways of hunting in each region. Um but Texas, man, I imagine East Texas is probably more like you're hunting in Oklahoma yeah. or Mississippi or right, something. Right. I mean, there's I've or Louisiana probably a lot of more green over there. So yeah, I've done a lot of hunting in, in coastal Louisiana, and then when you get towards East Texas, you're like, man, this is this is the same thing. Yeah, um, and so I imagine it's completely different over there. Um, and you got to love a Rio, you know, a Rio turkey is a well, they're all individuals, but Rios are sometimes easier. We'll say that the, the, we were we were talking a little Tom Kelly earlier it brings me to a piece I saw with him with I think Cuz Strickland where he just talked mad shit about him it was hilarious <laughs> like zero respect for the Rio for the Rio he's like it's not a real bird it's not a real turkey or something to that effect it was so funny as much as I love old Tom Kelly I, I, I just man living out west here too when I on turkeys here. I've run into the dumbest Merriams. Yeah. I mean, the hold a feather up in a, you know, stand out in a meadow and hold up a feather and you kill one. <laughs> I've run into that. And I've run into impot. I mean, last year we got our butts kicked. I personally got my butt kicked by uh, multiple turkeys in eastern Montana. Yeah. In much the same country where I've been before where you just think this is a layup. 
same thing with Rio's. I've hunted. I hunted some Rio's last year in Texas at the ranch I was just talking about that seemed like they were impossible. And we had to get, I ended up killing one on the, on the third day, but it took a little doing, you know, yeah. it wasn't. And then we went to another ranch a little bit further north, shot one in the first morning that was as simple as could possibly be. It was textbook. So turkeys are individuals. Oh, so it's hard to generalize, but it's fun to generalize. It's fun to say, like, it's fun to compare and contrast in that way. When I went up to Nebraska last year, I'd heard so much of what you just espoused, right? Rios, Miriams, being, you know, coming from the east, you know, that's your toughest bird kind of. So if you can do that, you can come out here and handle your business. But what I didn't take into account or I had no knowledge of was the terrain. Terrain. Uh, in the north central Nebraska where I was in these giant, I don't even call them wadis, they're canyons, man. Yeah. And you got 75 foot freaking trees growing out the bottom of them and there's no there's no smart way to go down like you fall down you're probably breaking something if not <laughs> yeah. dying and these birds you know they would sound like you know within 20 30 yards and, and in fact they were but they were in these canyons the and they they had food shelter and there was no reason for them to come out yeah. so they wouldn't i mean they'd hammer back all day long you're like this is happening and you're and you're just you're all excited and then you realize oh, i'm getting played yeah like this is not going to happen no matter how hard i try that's just i mean you know so last year we did a big turkey tour right with first light and we got to see i got to see the piney ridges of northwest nebraska hmm. are so dissimilar you would think they would be similar but they're so dissimilar in the way the turkeys use the country as the piney ridges of eastern Montana, which are three, four, five hours away, depending on how the crow flies. And um, I got to see how there's parks and benches in this, in in the ridges, the piney ridges of eastern Montana. There's parks, there's benches, there's just little areas where these turkeys like to be. Hmm. And a lot of times they'll choose those areas because of the great edge habitat. They'll choose those areas over an ag field 500 yards sure. down the drainage. And that's what confused me. That's what had me flipped up. I was like, well, this, I see where these, I see a turkey is, is roosting at the top of a, you know, a small drainage that goes down into an ag field. I'm like, if I'm a turkey, I'm flying down wherever I, I pitch down and then I'm going to find my way eventually during the day down in those fields and strut, get my bugs and get back right, up. Right. I watch turkeys avoid those areas that are natural turkey habitat. Mm. I've seen turkeys there all my life. And I watch them avoid those places in favor of, I think, a little bit sanctum, more sanctimonious yeah. areas like parks and little benches and meadows where there's plenty of great edge habitat and they're just kind of off the beaten path. They're a little bit safer because there's more predation, I think, in Montana. And there's just a little bit more of a, you know, that dichotomy is real. I started to watch and listen and learn and think, well, this turkey's going to fly down. He's eventually going to have to go to this ag field and come back. Never, never touched it. Yeah, so did you get proven? Did your hypothesis prove out or did you just surmise that it's... I was proven right. I mean, no. I, like eventually we, we would see these, you know, this country would break out into, like I said, a series of, of ridges, you know, steep drainages and parks. We call them parks, just a meadow at the yeah. top of a bench, a bench of a, of a ridge. And so we would see them skip over really good habitat, whether it be creek, bottom cottonwood habitat where you would normally think a turkey in the midday with, with tall grass yeah. and just like perfect a bunch of open you know bottomland timber where you would think a turkey would be and you would see that and be like this turkey is going there at some point he'll be there and hunt him for five days and never see a turkey in that area yeah and just be running to him in random little pockets within this these timbered ridges 
where you think, yeah, maybe they're going to travel through here, but they're not going to congregate here. And we saw that time and time and time again. And I've had veteran turkey hunters that have hunted that country for decades tell me that. And I didn't listen to them. Mm. I thought, ah, no, they're, I mean, it's a turkey. It's going to do what turkeys do. And so I just think that that, that should prove the point that a, a turkey's an individual. You know, they're going to, they're conditioning machines. They're conditioned by the thing around them. Sure. You know, so whatever condition those turkeys to act that way, they, they definitely did consistently. And they're super adaptable, right? Because if, if they're being pressured one area, the, and who knows if they're getting dive bombed by raptors, aerial predators, stuff like that. I just see, yeah, I mean, there were some of these mornings where I'd get up and be like, I got this figured out. Yeah. There's a perfect little creek fed drainage that comes right off these ridges and they're roosted up on these ridges and they're going to, fly down and they're, they're going to come right down in these fields and we're going to cut them off and kill them. And they'd pitch down the other way and you never see them. You never even get close to them. And in that country, and I'll be talking to Mike Chamberlain on a recent podcast, and he's talking about turkeys in those countries, in that country might travel a mile or two a day. You know, they might pitch down and be gone. You may never see them again. They may roost a mile away mm. that night. You know, that's not typical, but that happened. And so... That was just me trying to learn those turkeys in that terrain. And that's the beautiful part about, you know, all these guys that are doing the, the, the 49. Uh, that's the beautiful part about that because you get to test your strategies. For sure. Test your style. Like, is does my style from Mississippi translate over to Montana? That's that's part of the draw, I think. Aside from a, a body count, right? Yeah. It should be. I mean, it is for me and I suspect for you as well is the... <clears throat> The, the the similarities and the juxtapositions, even, you know, you, you go 100 miles east or west of one spot and it's the birds are completely doing different things. That's what, you know, we we hunted probably, you know, we, we didn't drive more than three hours. We hunted four states last year. And, and the difference in the birds, the difference in the scenarios, the difference in the weather was was striking to me. The country, yeah. no, not so dissimilar from each other in those four different states, you know, that we, we hunted out west here. But. The birds, the weather, just just where they were, where they wanted to be, was so different. Um, and so for me, it was easy to continue to kind of log that in your brain. It's like, look, this is, as old Tom Kelly would say, as he told me one time, he said something like, the minute you get confidence, they're going to break your neck with it. Hell yeah. You know? That's exactly right. And so you just, you remember, look, apply the principles as you know them and adapt quick. Yeah. If a turkey shows you that he's not going to do what you think he's going to do, adapt quick. And I think last year in Montana, I did not adapt quick enough. I kept, <laughs> I had like six days to hunt in the first three days. I, I kept thinking they're going to do it. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. And then when they didn't do it, I was already four days into a six yeah. day hunt and I was on my toes already. And by the time I switched up my game plan, I was too, it was too late. I was, they already, they had me mentally messed up enough that they, they beat me up. Worry down. Is there, uh, I guess, out of the states, perhaps you haven't hunted one that kind of sticks out to you and has you enamored? You know, uh, I don't know why I would say. I would say Hawaii, only because we were talking about at dinner. I, I've hunted right three or four different islands for axis deer and mouflon things of that nature. And I've always seen turkeys. I remember being on the first time I ever walked on step foot on Lanai. There's not there there again. There's not a tree tall enough for a turkey to roost in on that entire island. Sure, they you know sometimes we'd see them roosted roosted like on top of a mound of lava rocks, because that's as high as they could get. So there's a couple of times Sam Soholt and I were telling the story recently where we were walking, we'd be walking down these two track roads trying to get on a deer or whatever, 
and you'd look to the left, and in a five foot tall bush would be a, t- a turkey roosted. I mean, you could push it out of the. I mean, you'd reach up and wow. punch it in the face if you wanted to. And so something about <laughs> something about that experience, just the difference of it. You know, just the landscape that they're in. You know, it's a botanical garden on on most of those islands. So I've been around those turkeys and not hunted them. So for some reason that that draws me to to those places. And you can hunt them at different times of the year. And those landscapes are so incredible. Uh, that lava rock, pretty rough on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, I, last year we hunted. I don't know if Molokai. We hunted Molokai last year for uh, for axis deer. I don't know if they have turkeys. I would guess that they do. We never really talked about it when we were there. Um, but Maui has has a ton. Lanai has a ton. You know, the Big Island I'm sure has has a ton. Uh, although I've hunted there, I haven't really looked into the populations. But they're so accessible. The people there are so cool. Like the opportunities are just all over the place in terms of where you could hunt them and what those landscapes look like. And imagine like shooting a turkey up on a ridge overlooking the ocean. It'd be awesome on a volcano. Yeah, side of a volcano. And I've I've, <laughs> I've hunted on the Big Island in Kona where we hunted uh, mouflon where we were hunting mouflon and we can watch an uh, active volcano make its own weather and the weather cloud like bugs bunny Crazy. come over and rain on us and then go away <laughs> a new one would come rain on us and go away and so it's just such a it's such a really rich place culturally you know yeah. biodiversity in the in the biodiverse way that it is the people so i hawaii is one of them but i'd hunt a turkey on the moon if they yeah of there. course it's like I would hunt a turkey on Mars if that's where they were, you know. So I don't. I would put Hawaii near the top of the list, but only just only because it's it's intriguing to me. Yeah, you know, I have that experience, but I'd do it anywhere. That's how I feel about New Zealand. Yeah, even though I, I've talked to outfitters down there, and they're like, "Why would you want to just spend money to come here to do that?" Because that's what I'm interested in. I know. <laughs> I, I, the same thing. I've been down in New Zealand before, and you'll be just driving on a highway, and you look over, and there's turkeys in somebody's yeah. front yard or something. And there, I mean, they. You talk about Texas not valuing and turkeys None. in New Zealand. You could go up and be like, "Can I hunt those? Shoot those turkeys? There's no season. There's no bag limits." Yeah, I've asked before. You know, I remember being over there, and the big joke was all Ben O'Brien wants to do is look at the turkeys as we're driving around this beautiful South Island of New Zealand. I'm looking at <laughs> the turkeys over there, do I think. And um, I remember thinking, like, could I hunt those turkeys? And they're like, oh, yeah. Any of these landowners would let you shoot a turkey with no problem. Like, you could step off the highway and shoot one and nobody would bat an eyelash. I don't want to speak for the island of New Zealand. I'm, you know. Sure. This is what I heard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I've, I've heard similar stories from yeah. people that live there. And they laughed. You know, like, why would you want to just, you know, take 24 hours plus to get there, spend all this money turkey. to shoot a turkey? Because it's a turkey. That's what I do. And it's in New Zealand. And that is awesome. Can it strut? Yeah, gobble. And that's how I like the oscillated turkeys is interesting to me because I've never hunted them. I have friends that have. I've studied it and looked at it. I just it's not a turkey to me. I'm sorry to the turkey world. Maybe like your you know what is it your world slam? I just don't. It's just not. They don't gobble like a turkey that mm -hmm. I know. They don't. I mean, it's just I want to go and experience that. Yeah. But I don't think I would add it to it. It's valued a little different, right? Yeah. It would be like going to Australia and shooting, uh, what is it, their red bush turkey? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's still really kind of looks like yeah. the thing that I hunt, but that's not it. Yeah. So I'm not going to add it, it to a slam that also includes a Gould's turkey in a Rio. Like I, so maybe that's controversial, but I, I've always thought like I want to go to see that country and yeah. to be a part of that experience, but I don't think of it as a turkey, you know, but I'm no, no, uh, 
Well, their whole thing is predation down there, right? Isn't that uh, the stories I've heard is they develop that that whistle, that whatever that thing is they do. It's like a cackle. Kind yeah. Of thing, so. To to avoid, you know, big jungle cats tearing them up. I know. Conversely, we, we got mongoose in Hawaii. Like there's not a lot of predation in, in the Big Certainly islands. no winter kills, so no predation. Yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah, I'm sure that, that's what. That's again, when you get on these island ecosystems, it's different, right? Yeah. There's semi-closed ecosystems. The only way something's getting in is from the air, sure. unless we bring it in. Right, right. And so that's that's another thing that's interesting about those populations and, and just the difference in, in how you might manage an ecosystem when it's what's in a semi-closed environment like that. And those, those things are interesting to me, too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I see it. A turkey has, there's like... Turkey acts a certain way to me, you know. I, a turkey gobbles. A turkey sleeps in trees. A turkey struts. A turkey. I mean, to me, that that's what hunting a turkey. Is. Mm. That's the essence of a turkey. That's the turkiness that I'm looking for. That I love, you know. Um, and so I'd hate to, you know, call something a turkey that doesn't have those qualities. I, I can respect that. I don't want to sure. be controversial for the people in the Yucatan, but I, <laughs> I'm all for hunting them. Yeah, <laughs> just it just doesn't feel. It's never been compelling to me. You know, I've been on. Um, hunting uh coos deer in mexico and people get mad at me for glass and the freaking goulds and the you know farmers, oh. <laughs> in the farmer's field i'm over there glassing these goulds in the farmer's field while uh whilst everybody else is glassing for for coos bucks you know so i get i get always get a little shit for that but I, that's how i that's how my mind works i'd be there i'd, I'd be doing the same thing and, and this audience it's well documented my uh <laughs> My take it or leave it for deer hunting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny how like, um, it's funny to me at least how different personalities, different people get hooked on different pursuits. Cause I'm to try to explain why turkeys are more compelling to me than just about anything. I live in a, in a world where I can hunt elk out my back door. Right. And that is the, in the, in the months of September, that's all I'm thinking about. But I only think about it in the month of September, right. really. And I start thinking about turkeys like right after Thanksgiving, usually. Yeah. Or right right around Christmas, I started thinking about the spring. Um, and so I don't I couldn't explain. I do my best to explain. Tom Kelly was one of the best to explain what the cult, the fraternity of turkey hunting is really like. Um, why I joined it so so without hesitation. I I'll have to think about it some more because it's hard to describe, but it is. I've had an opportunity to hunt many species in many places and Turkeys is whatever for whatever reason hooked me up. It just got me, you know. Well, I don't just, know why. No matter how many times you do it, it it's not it's not the same hunt. It could be the same bird, but you you said they're all individuals. That's right. Um, I don't know. I again not disparaging deer hunters, but if I shoot a deer, I'm excited. I'm happy. I've I've gone through the the motions, and now I got to do the, the grunt work for it. I don't get that, that energizer bunny feeling. I know. <laughs> you know, that supercharged, let's do it again, let's do it again, let's do it again. <laughs> Nothing about hunting. No hunting is bad. No. Like, I've never went on a hunt and be like, I'd never do this again. But there's something about turkey hunting. I've tried to I've tried to reason it in the best way I can, but I, I fear that there's no way for me to do that. I, I don't think there's any way for me to explain it. I think it's just maybe in my bones. Maybe if you think about it too much, you ruin it. Just that's leave it. it. That's leave it. it, for what I it is. just love it, dude. I yeah. love it. And I don't really, I do my best to explain to people that don't understand it, but everybody listening to this, well, I'm sure you guys understand yeah. it. So it's not, there's no need to explain it, but I, I would pick turkey hunting over anything and it wouldn't even be, it would not even be close. Yeah. It's not close at all. doesn't mean I'm any good at it. 
I almost enjoy the failure. Like the failure is thanks to folks like Colonel Tom Kelly is so articulated into, you know, so kind of interwoven into what a turkey hunter is and who we are that um, I just feel like every success and failure, man, I really cherish mornings in the turkey woods. I cherish them and I think real seriously about when they're about to be over. I'm like, oh, this is, I'm going to be depressed for most of, yeah. most of June. Um, well, you can come up to Maine and I'll, I'll get you through to one more Saturday, <laughs> yeah. one more fix. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, you have kids too. I have, I have young kids. Yeah. Um, I think about two things. One, uh, will they resent me for being gone <laughs> and doing what I love to do? But then they're, they're starting to come along with me and I wonder, will they have that? I don't, you know, will I be able to accurately describe how I feel about it and will they feel the same? It's an awesome point to bring up. And I, and I, and it's awesome because, um, Steve and I years ago, I had him on the original podcast and we kind of got into this polite back and forth about, uh, someone that's raised as a hunter versus a, a late adult onset hunter, whatever the buzzword is right now. Right. And the value system and, and the work that's put into it, uh, when first, you know, being brought up into it, cause it's very matter of fact, and it's just part of so you your upbringing. And then when you make a conscious decision to, uh, seek mentorship or whatever your mentorship looks like, whether you're having someone physically bring you out or it's through books and YouTube and right. you're trying to figure this shit out, right. um, that, you completely immerse yourself or you're at a different level of maturity. So I think the appreciation factor for actually going out and executing these things is far higher than my eight year old who is just matter of fact about it because this is what dad said we're doing right. and we did it and I'm, he's jazzed about it and he wants to do it again. But sometimes I'll watch the expression and it's, I kind of expect more and, and I don't get, I don't get that. Because yeah. I'm having it. You're trying to look I'm in the mirror. For him. You're trying to look in the mirror like, oh, is that gonna be yeah. is that gonna be what I that's what I'm talking about too. And I think I've seen enough of because I mean it's it's clear to me. It's clear that when I was twelve, I just followed my dad. Wherever my dad went, I went. Yeah. And it wasn't like there was a not even that I would have taken a choice. I wanted to be there. But it was just like this is how, this is what we do. And certainly I think if you were talking to my dad, he would probably tell you I he saw something in me that told him I'd probably be a hunter because my brother is a year and a half older than me. He's not a hunter at all. Mm. He doesn't know anything about it. Um, and we're still the greatest of friends. Like we just don't talk about, <laughs> we just talk about hunting. And so I think about that and I, and I wonder how to, you know, how do you relate to somebody who's 35 and is thinking about, has an intellectual approach. I never had, I was just, it was like almost an emotional approach to hunting. You know, it was whatever my dad did, I did. Right? Mm. There's a connection there. But when you're in your 30s and you're, uh, we coined the term on my show, the emergent hunter, because we I didn't like adult onset hunter. I like that. I thought adult onset it sounded like some some the doctor would tell. Sound like a like, disease. Yeah, like sorry, sir. You Not in a good way. Sorry, sir. You have adult onset hunter. Yeah. Like, really? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Penicillin. What do I do? <laughs> so, anyways, like I, I met a lot of emergent hunters, and what I think they struggle with that we those of us that hunted in the patrilineal sense never really did is that intellectual hurdle. The, the, and also the cultural and societal hurdles of people around me probably don't do this. They don't understand this. So they're forced to be become a proxy spokesman for hunting, mm. if only to be accepted in their, in their like social circles. 
And people are going to, what's the first question somebody asks if they're not a hunter and you're at the table with them and they ask you, you say, you have to say, why do you hunt? Yeah. And you got to, you got to roll out. Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to start hunting? You're 35, yeah. you got three kids, you live in LA. What are you doing? Yeah. And you got to have a good answer. And so that's been the beautiful thing about my experience with, with emergent hunters and people that are in that scenario is because they're, they're forced to, whether it's a personal anecdote to something in their lives they'd like to solve or... I think almost more importantly, there's a societal anecdote where they're around people that are going to question them in a way that that my dad, my like my dad would never question me. No one in my hometown would question me mm. about being a hunter. They're not going to go, why you hunt? They're going to go like, what'd you kill? Yeah, show right. Me, show right. me your photos. And so just that that social difference, that that relational difference is is such like a, a monumental thing for I think for folks that are learning to do it and they're emergent. And, and so I think that's a beautiful thing. I don't know if you would compare or contrast them as anything, one or the other. Everybody comes to hunting with a different perspective. But certainly, to me, the patrilineal hunter, the hunter that's following their father or mother, you know, the, or matrilineal, like the, that person is probably going to appreciate different things. Mm-hmm. Not appreciate, like just, if you try to paint the whole picture and compare the two, that's probably a false Pro- false yeah. argument. They're going to appreciate different things. The adult onset hunter or the emergent hunter is going to going to see completely different levels and layers. And that's where for me, I, I, I'm a, a geek when it comes to ethics and, and just yeah. thinking about things. You know, I, I just how my mind works. And so I, I've I've found more connection with people that are emergent than people that are veteran hunters because they don't think like that. Once you get through, once you're a hunter for life, you're not thinking of why we do it. You're thinking That's, about how great it is because yeah. it is awesome. And so you don't have to. You're never forced to. Nor is it compelling to talk about it that way. You're analyzing in different ways. Your your whys are completely different as you even have them. Yeah. And for for people that come into it late, it's. All right. Why did why did you do it that way? Why did you employ this tactic where a kid who's just brought up through it? Just that's just because that's it. We do. That's how we do it. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, like I was telling you earlier, I have I know some folks that are from I was with this weekend with some folks from L.A. that are that are there is L.A. as it gets either by they're in Silicon Valley or they're in the biotech space and they're also hunters. And they're forced to, and this is this is them explaining this to me. We, I am forced to, one, for, in some social circles, hide that I hunt. I had one guy tell me that he made a Facebook account, uh, aptly titled Emergent Hunter, so nobody would know, with a different photo than him. Uh, so nobody in his professional social circle would find out that he was a hunter. Imagine that. And then, you know, at, the, at that same level, he was... Every dinner party he went to, if anybody wanted to argue about being an animal rights person or or being a vegan or, you know, not being against the Second Amendment or however, whatever cultural delineation you're talking about, they would come to him and be like, you're in that hey, you're in that world. Yeah. Like, what? Well, tell us about that. And so those folks are forced to. Uh, There's some secret castle entry going on. Yeah. I dig that. Yeah, man. And I just <laughs> thought, good. how funny is that, man? Like, how hilarious. But it's real for them it's real for them and i told i was talking to this one guy about this and i said man you need to move sounds like you live in a shitty place where not everybody's open to different things different approaches different ways to eat different ways to recreate sounds like you're kind of locked in the box here you should maybe you know move somewhere else (laughs) you know you say imagine that but i i think i think for 
for what it is, I actually personally I could because, you know, that that area of the country is so uh, woke, hypersensitive to certain things. And, yeah. you know, orange man, this guns, that, you know, all that what comes with it and hunting certainly falls in some of these these um you know these memes of that they put on people so you can see people you know yeah one of your good friends with a very well-known podcast just went through some bullshit yeah uh, he's and, still in california yeah man I, it's true it's, it's crazy true. it's true it, and that's what i was i was telling my my buddy that lives in la i was like look that's not a really that's not a very open environment to live in if if if, if that's what if you're gonna call it woke if that's what we're gonna call that that's fine you can call anything you want it's not it's not fun it's not cool that's not something the social pressures and the things that go on in those environments are ridiculous yeah we know that we know that america's tired of that stuff we're tired of that stuff we're tired of identity-based cultural ide- ideologies ideologies we're tired of it this is not something that we're ready for and so for somebody to break out of that mold and and for me to talk to those folks and see how serious uh, a risk a social risk a cultural risk they're taking yeah by just trying to figure out where their food comes from or just trying to immerse themselves in nature or just trying to get rid of the sedentary life that they've adopted or just trying to run away from the screen whatever whatever gets them there they in those environments feel like they're the other when they start to do the things we love to do so that that to me has been it's been enlightening it's i think it's important for all of us as hunters to recognize that that exists in our world how rampant it is is up to someone else to say i'm just giving you that one perspective that i got to see this weekend and and to me it was very it was is a bit profound to see wouldn't it be cool for that individual you're referencing uh the next time you're together some of them Hey, tell me about your adventure. <laughs> They're there with them. Yeah, and that's I've seen that happen because I think, I think underneath kind of the veneer of wokeness is this is this fear. Right, like they're they're scared to do something different. They're scared to see things in a different way, and they're scared to explore things that they're told aren't. Um, you know, don't have justice, or you know, aren't involved in in the social justice that they seek in the world. Mm. And I would argue, I would say, if you if that's how you feel and you live in L.A. and you and you want to other me, right, go ahead and other me. I live in Montana. I've hunted all my whole life. I've done a whole lot of redneck things. I've done a whole, a whole lot of non-redneck things, yeah. too, I think, probably. But, like, I've done a whole lot of things that you might call uh, redneck. But, like, try to other me and sit in a room with me and, and, and see if I don't listen to you. Consider your point of view and explain to you why, I, why the Second Amendment and why hunting – why the outdoors has changed my life and why I'm basically, I feel a profit for that stuff. That's probably over, overblown, over, overspoke, but that's how I feel. And like, just try sitting down with me and seeing if you don't feel like at least I'm listening to what you have to I, say. I think there, I mean, the whole idea of, of that, the last bunch of years, uh, and I, you don't even like the term woke, wokeism, but um, it's, it's fraudulent. And most of these people are frauds. And when you really break it down, like if you did put them on blast and say, "Okay, I'm I'm willing to have that conversation with you and listen, they don't want that engagement because their narrative is now is now shot and they're looking to engage you in a very volatile sort of way. And you're not giving them that. And as a community, man, I mean, that's one of the best things we can do. You know, it's not do not engage. It's engage. Uh, 
but do it with a little grace. Uh, take a couple deep breaths, and I'm one that needs to take some deep breaths, man. I, <laughs> I get fired We're up. We're both from the East Coast, yeah, dude. Well, the way we communicate, we argue <laughs> and we, we we talk smack, but that's that's the truth. I, and I do, you know, I, I host a show on my uh, one of my podcasts with my friend who happens to be an animal rights ethicist and a vegan. Yeah. And I was just at that same gathering in California. He came, and it was 15 to 20 hunting mentors and from across the state of California and my my vegan friend came uh, no offense to my buddy Robert but he was wearing like a scarf and he looked very out of place California with, like he did <laughs> and I and I, not I didn't think that as a negative thing I thought how cool is he willing to come yeah because we become friends because I've not othered him because I've been open he we, we have this thing where he would love to see hunting go away and I sure as, as heck would love to see animal rights ideology go away. No. Right? So we understand we understand those facts about each other and we talk and we have fun and we laugh and we drink. And he asks about my wife and I ask about his girlfriend and, and we ask about our lives. And we just we don't we don't put each other down. Um, we humanize each other, you know, in a way. It's it's hard to overstate how cool that is. Isn't that nice? Turkey hunters find everything you need to succeed at sportsmansguide.com. From decoys and calls to apparel, boots, and blinds. Plus, Sportsman's Guide has much more than just hunting gear. From fishing, camping, and adventure to family barbecues and backyard bonfires. For everything you love about the great outdoors, you'll find it all at Sportsman's Guide. Shop sportsmansguide.com today. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation and their podcast hosted by my longtime buddy, Fred Berg. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. How, how good that is. Looking back at a person that has a heartbeat and not just knowing them for uh, a couple of very shallow ideologies and just knowing that there's humanity within that breath. And being a hunter is as big a, <laughs> being a hunter is a bigger part of my identity is just about anything that I do. Yeah. I, my, I always say that if I died tomorrow, half my funeral would be probably hunting industry dudes, you know, <laughs> beards and whatever, flannel shirts. But I, I, I don't... Uh, I don't make that a part of who I am. It's just what I love. It's just my ideas. There mm. aren't my ideas aren't me, right? So that's something Joe Rogan always says. But that, that to me, hunting isn't me, but I love it. And I, I'll, anybody could sit in this room right here, and I would tell them how much I love it, why I love turkey hunting. As I was telling you at dinner, I got invited to go on. Lord save me, I don't know why. Uh, one of the most popular cycling podcasts in Ireland <laughs> <laughs> to talk about hunting earlier today. And it was so interesting, the questions that were asked and, how, and like 
how I was able to just freely talk about the broad strokes of hunting. We weren't talking about what calls to use. We weren't talking sure. about terrain and habitat and and what mapping system we were going to scout with. He was just asking me, tell me about this conservation thing. Yeah. And almost forcing me to get my stuff together and be able to articulate what we believe is core to, to what NWTF is and what I, I've, I've modeled my life around to someone who has no idea. And I think that just those questions, just being around those people that want to know and are curious, make you better. They make you more articulate, better able to communicate your position and your life and your perspective. And that's fun, man. That's why these podcasts, like, it's fun. It's fun to just that's a, lay that out there. It's a great way to have that conversation, too, because when you get outside the wonky ranks of us and our turkey hunting cult and you know the other stuff that comes with that i mean in large part you are you are dealing with people that just have no clue how fun and awesome and and just special is that for someone to actively pursue you to ask those questions you get that that retort uh in order and it must be challenging to take out all the nuance right all the wonk stuff because that's 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 what we all that we just regurgitate that yeah. stuff because it's fun for us to talk about you know <laughs> it's like accountants talking about stats and stuff like this like i, I want to talk about yeah. two readed ghost cuts and i want to you know talk yeah. about this kind of box call it that, that means nothing to them it's completely yeah. latin but in a very forty five thousand foot overview and and just kind of blue collar in it. I mean, yeah. that's a fantastic way to engage it is. a whole host of folks. It is. And it, he asked me a question in his thick Irish accent. I think he asked me like, why, why do we manage wildlife? And it took me a minute. Like, okay, well, uh, it's like when your kid asks you like, why is this happened, daddy? Like, Wait a minute. What? <laughs> what do I do? Um, and so I just said, well, let me, let's start in the year 1900, you know, like some kind of librarian or something. Yeah. But, I said, let me take you back to like the enlightenment period around conservation in North America. And it took him through all that I could, could do in a 15 minute monologue about this stuff. And then again, it is, it is, you have a choice when you approach somebody that's different than you, you have a choice. It's not only, it's not a binary, but you have a choice of the, of the several approaches you could take. One is you could other them. You could say they're different. They're not worth your time. Mm-hmm. They don't believe what you believe. So they need to be cast off into some other place or, you could ask them questions, learn about their perspective, and explain yours. And and, and so often our in our world, um, we just don't see that. And so these little moments in my life mean a lot to me. Whether it's meeting a mother, uh, a single mother in California last weekend, that was I was telling you her name's Roberta. Mm-hmm. She was telling me about how she learned to hunt based on YouTube and podcasts uh, because she had a, she was a single mother. Her son was 14 and she didn't have a father that was present. And um, she wanted him to have some sort of something manly in her terms to do with him. And um, so three years ago, she started on this trek. Next thing you know, she's a mentor. She's teaching other people to hunt. She's teaching her son. She's mentoring a young, uh, young lady out of LA on how to hunt. Um, Those things are, Man, those are, are really cool things to be a part of. Uh, what is the uh, – I'm just curious since you're dealing with them. What, is, what When they tell you you know, what their hunting excursions are like, what is that like to get out of that city? Because I understand it like traffic's a, just <laughs> not easy as hell on earth. It's not so, easy. So you know, I, know, I know some folks up in New York City um, 
that explain their logistical issues of getting out of the city to go find public land to hunt in that area, which it could take them up to an hour to get out of there on public transport because they got to leave the car at home with the with the misses and the kids, right? Yeah. What, so what is like your your mentors down there talking? Where do they go? Yeah, I mean, there's not. Uh, they're, they, they're, you know, California is a big state sure. and there's a lot of public ground and national forest. And a good example, um, we have one guy, his name's Nuri Hong and he lives in LA. He's a biotech, uh, starter. He has a biotech startup. It's based out of Boston and he's incredibly articulate. Um, getting to be you know, like he's late, late thirties. Um, he lives in LA and his wife is, you know, works for Disney. I mean, they have, they have a couple of kids and. They have like the prototypical American urban life. Mm. This is what they they do. They're they're relatively wealthy and and they live a very comfortable life. And he kind of discovered hunting, you know, trying to shed some of those some of his own kind of lifestyle choices that he had made over the years and mm. wanted to be more independent. And and uh, I'm writing an article about him now, so I'll, I'll let him explain it. But you know, he found hunting and he found a mentor by the name of Jordan Rigsby and Jordan grew up in Chico and 28 years old now. Um, he's currently right now in Mexico and is <laughs> on his bachelor party. So nice. if you're listening to this, just, just don't drink too much, Jordan. Uh, <laughs> but Jordan has been mentoring. He's 20 years old. He's mentoring a 40 year old father. He's a 28 year old guy's about to get married. He's a, he just came out of the NFL. He was a star lineman at, at the university of Cal. He came out, um, when I think played for the Panthers for sure, and I think the Titans for a cup of coffee mm. and had some injuries, and so anyway, he's back in in California and, and meets Nuri, and Nuri wants to get so now you have this like hulking six foot six yeah. lineman and a in a you know five foot eight Asian guy from LA. <laughs> this is not the pair that you would think of, but sure. these guys are. So the struggle is that like Nuri hops in his Audi and drives it six hours north or whatever. You know, wow. on the 405 or whatever, you know, and he's driving five hours to go with to go to a shooting range because he doesn't have one near him. So he goes up to Chico and he meets with Jordan and they go to a shooting range. We I went with them uh, this last weekend and they were like, hey, we're going to go on a pig hunt. We'll, we'll go stomp around the National Forest. Well, they went up there uh, to a small town and turns out the entire National Forest was burned last year. Wow. So that's a very California thing to very Western thing to have to deal with. They, yeah. have, they have to deal with it. So they're, you know, not only are we sit here in Montana, I can go check out National Forest in 20 minutes. Nuri is driving six hours, staying overnight with a buddy, getting up in the morning, going to shoot his rifle, goes to a place where there's no wildlife, let alone uh, a pig to actually shoot, yeah. and then gets, six, gets in his car on Sunday and drives six hours back home. So that's the sacrifice he's making to do this. Um, and I know folks in New York are the same way. They got to get on the train. They got to go get a bus, yeah. you know, and they're not allowed to have firearms and ammunition, uh, travel with those things. So it's incredibly complicated um, for those folks. So, again, for, for that barrier of entry for them is way higher than us. And so if you if you have a back 40 where you can go hop in a tree stand tonight and look for a deer or, or go get in a blind, look for a turkey – be real thankful that you can do that. Yeah. You know, in Nuri's example, he's so inspired by hunting and all he talks about is hunting. And, and um, he's a, one of those dudes who nobody in his life does it. Yeah. His parents, his wife, his children are looking at him kind of 
cross-eyed like what's going on here man um but he does it anyway and it's because it's a powerful thing you know he's and here's a guy who could be doing any i mean doing anything he's pretty well off he could be he could become a you know hot air balloon captain <laughs> if you want to do it <laughs> like, he could do anything he want to do but he discovered hunting and it's, it's it's been so helpful for his life he's he's a good example of somebody who there's probably a thousand of him walking around in LA yeah. that don't know that have never heard of this that don't know anything about it think we're barbaric think we're murderers it just takes one person to be like no no that's not what this is let me tell you my version of it um and so nuri to me as much as i become he's become my friend is a walking billboard in la for us yeah to me you know and so i think that's a i used to say i was telling you at dinner i used to say hunting had an image problem i I don't think it does. I think it has a connection problem. Yeah. People like Nuri, you know, this Irish cycling podcast guy that I talked to earlier. It's funny to even say it, but those folks have become, you know, walking billboards for what we do. And they yeah. Step in a room. People trust them. They respect them. They know them. And then they hear somebody that they actually know talking about this in a passionate way. Next thing you know, you know, they, they've come across the table pretty far. Likewise with, you know, uh, sports figures that uh, <clears throat> I interview on this show or even, you know, a Joe Rogan um, who may buck that 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 model now because people know his passions. But before when, you know, he was coming out right <laughs> as, a, as a hunter, and people didn't know that side of him. Right. Like, right. right. Yeah. You become this de facto ambassador, like it or not. And especially if you have a platform of the NFL, Major League Baseball, or yeah. your Joe Rogan, um, you have so much more power than I will ever have, and possibly you, because we we have our choir we we talk to weekly, and we, and they we know they show up, and our challenge oftentimes is to break that mold and get outside in the eighty percent. But those folks, they already got those people. They're already captivated by them just because they like what they did on the field or, you know, right. uh, and, and in Hollywood or whatever. So, I mean, holy the, the fellow there in Yellowstone, um, Kevin Costner, well, Kevin Costner and the <laughs> other guy that takes him to the train station. Oh, yeah. Rip. Rip. He uh, he's a big. Yeah. yeah, yeah he's yeah. an outdoors man. I got outdoors a buddy in town here that was, just took him to Africa. Yeah. On, 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 he was telling me. About Imagine it. those guys start like. Yeah. If they actually put that out there, like yeah. minds that would be changed. Yeah. In an instant, just because of fandom. Yeah. I mean, and it legitimizes it. it in some people's eyes. Yeah. Like I said, there's two versions of it. There's that one. And then there's the Nuri's version where he's yeah. one person at a time. Yeah, and exactly. Like, so there's, yeah, everybody exactly has right. that opportunity. Um, I almost wonder for your buddy Nuri, if it would be more advantageous to go to like Nevada or Arizona. And I think closer. he's thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's thinking about it. But he, you know, for him, he's turkey hunting this year and we were driving around the car and he's asking like what about there what a turkey live there you know and i'm going this is <laughs> this is pretty funny what happened we went to the burned out national forest and we were going to shoot and there wasn't any place obviously there was nothing there so we went back towards chico and we went to this gun range and we were coming down this highway and getting off the exit and you could see out across this kind of green veranda like this flat field and then there was a, a a riparian corridor like a little creek corridor with a bunch of nice trees nice roost trees in there and i said look this isn't a public ground spot i said nuri but if this was look right there look at that gap look at that pinch point in those trees right mm. there i think that's probably where i would start for turkeys i would either sit up on a high point in glass just for to scout or i would just walk into that corridor and i would look around for tracks and sign and 
look for tr- look at trees for signs of roosting and do all that thing and explaining it to him. He has, he has no concept of this. And we go, we pull up to the shooting range, and the shooting range is kind of adjacent to that creek area. And sure as shit, we were shooting rifles, and there was probably 10 other people there shooting as well. And a turkey walks out of that pinch point. I, I kid you not. A turkey, huh. This is like 30 minutes after I said this. A turkey walks out of this pinch point and just walks past the range as we're shooting and just goes on down the creek. I was like, well, there you go. There you go. Proof positive. I was like, you couldn't have planned that better if you tried. But I think that's those little epiphanies to watch someone who's 40 years old, an accomplished professional person, mm. a father, you know, somebody who's important in their community to watch them kind of break themselves down, lose their ego and learn and learn and learn. And that's what they really get out of it too. Is that learning kind of that unabated learning that doesn't, doesn't have anything attached to it other than that desire. That's cool as it could possibly be, you know, that's it's like, like the biggest the biggest thing is that uh, letting go of that uh, self, self-induced. Um, you know, everyone's got ego, right? So I can't call that self-induced, but uh, I guess the magnification you put on yourself for that. Once yeah. you let that go and learn how to ask a question, now you're asking two, yeah. and then you're comfortable asking three, and then you turn to someone like me that I just don't stop. I'm relentless. Yeah, and I you let that go because I used to be embarrassed. Like, well, I should know this. Why should I know this? Well, because. Because I'm a man and because I'm here and I grew up in New Hampshire and yeah. I should know this stuff, but I don't. So the only way I'm going to find out is by asking this question. As soon as I chilled myself out young, I you rolled learn. your oyster, man. So, you can yeah. ask any question you want. People I will was, answer. I've been learning to fly fish. I just, fly fishing has just been never something I was interested in. Mm. And I, since I moved here to the, the, you know, the capital of fly fishing in the West, I was like, well, I probably should do that. And I got kids. I want them to you know, have that on the menu for sure. Mm. Uh, even though I would much rather turkey hunt than fly fish, yeah. <laughs> I, I see the value in it, and I want to do it more, and I want to get you know get good at it. And it is a, in and of itself a craft that I want to tackle. And man, I feel like a little baby when I'm out there. Yeah. And I got buddies of mine who I hunt with and fish with who are friends who are going like, no, 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 buddy, let's <laughs> pat me on. Like, oh, <laughs> do this with your elbow, man. <laughs> and you feel like you know your ego takes takes so many hits in that process but it's a good thing yeah and then uh, and my kids are seeing me out in the backyard like casting and mm. asking questions about why are you doing that dad i'm like because i'm not good at it and yeah. i have to try what a great so, example to always yeah. keep picking away at something or learn something new for kids and i say we live we were so lucky to live in a place like montana like it's it's almost our responsibility to to do these things, mm. to, to be a part of them, to push ourselves, to learn new things. Because the more things you learn, the more crafts you learn in the outdoor space, the more that this whole world opens up to you. Yeah. The more that you see a river and you don't see it as something you might float in a raft, you see like, oh, look at that hole. Look at that right there. Oh yeah. my gosh. You know, just like I was showing Nuri. Nuri sees a field with some trees. I'm like, there's where the turkey's going to be. Yeah. And I could be wrong. <laughs> this time I was right. But like... It's just a different way to interface with the world around you. I mean, it's like it just is. And so to watch folks from urban areas discover that because it used to be that it had to be food. Right. Remember, there was a time where like any hipster that wanted to hunt, it had to be because of food. Sure. Had to. Well, that was a way to legitimize it. Right. It was like, well, you're you're doing it for the food. Right. But now these emergent hunters are coming out in such an intellectual way, in such a like emotional way. And. And so, like, it's just kind of a middle finger to 
to the sedentary lifestyle that, that that's that's around them, kind of the vapid lifestyle that they see every day. And so, yeah, the food is there, man. It's there and it's it's present and it's present as it would be for me or you. But that's not it's not a they're not field to table, food to table, mm. not at all. It's way deeper than that. Yeah, um, it would be a it would be a disservice to them to describe it that way. In fact, it's like, it's just not. That's I get not that. What doing you know, so it's cool to see that evolution because I remember the first time I read a field the table article in New York Times, I thought, well, yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, but to see that kind of deepen over time, yeah, is cool. No, the evolution of that is great, and I, I mean, for for my part, for NWTF, I feel like an all of the above approach is is just and 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 good. Like whatever gets you there, gets you there. Go and then. Build on that. And if it starts getting deeper, what you're experiencing, all the better because it goes way deeper than that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it could be. There's there's such a, you know, you talk you talk about it for hours. I talk about it for hours all the time. No. It's, it's it's an onion, man. You can do it forever. And turkey hunting itself, we just did, Sam Soho and I just finished up a nine-hour <laughs> turkey hunting podcast recording marathon. And we were done. We were like... Got in, we, we could take nine more hours right now. Like, well, I'm glad you segue there because we're we're over an hour now, and I want to get oh. you home to your kids. Jeez, um, sorry, boys. So perfect. Tee that up. Talk about it. Yeah. Because um, yeah. we, I, no smoke up your ass. I feel like I could go for <laughs> five, five, ten more hours. You're one of the easiest guests <laughs> I've ever had on. <laughs> Me too. Talk I, about. Uh, Me too. Root the root. Is it the roost? I want to get it right. The it's roost. Roost. Yeah, roost. Uh, singular. But yeah, roost. So. Um, I love turkey hunting and I can't stop thinking about it. So I figured why not do a podcast? And I, I recently created my, a, a podcast of my own. <laughs> that's like the easiest way. To, <laughs> a few whiskeys in that's best I can do. Um, I, I started a new podcast in January called Woodside and it was really all about like, that's a street I grew up on. It's kind of like getting back to just talking to people like this, just mm-hmm. talking to people about what I love and where I came from and where they came from and what they love. And, and from that, you kind of discover why people do what they do. And, and you learn a little bit more about your own approach and, and your own, you know, uh, legacy that you leave behind in some ways. And so in doing that, I also created a premium podcast because I really feel like those who want to, you know, to double their listening pleasure, hopefully would would um, listen for free on Tuesdays. And then Thursdays, we put out a premium show. Yeah. And in doing those premium shows, I felt like we had to step our game up. We had to offer something that was more than just two dudes talking. Like, that's not good enough. Right. I would, would ask somebody to pay for that. It's There's plenty of it free. There's millions of these things for free. Um, and so... Sam Soholt is a buddy of mine. He's he's the public land bus guy, you know, public land tees. He's awesome, man. He's, yeah. we, we're fans of Sam for sure. Sam's the man. He's him and I have kind of bonded over many things. One of those things being turkey hunting. And so we got to talking about. I just called him up because he's such a good content creator and just such you know just a good ear to bend when I have things I'd love to talk about. And I said, hey, I, I want to make something that's worth. A dollar. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. I want to make something that's worth something. If somebody listens to it, they come away thinking like, you know, that's seven ninety nine a month is 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 really this is really important. So we we came up with why not, you know, in the many shows that I'll put on the premium uh, part of our our network is why not come up with a chapter by chapter breakdown of turkey hunting? Why not start at A and end at Z, mm. and and have let people get 
for lack of a better term, a master class, you know, an audio book for lazy people who yeah, 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 don't yeah. like to write. Uh, that's what we are. So we got together uh, a month or so ago and sat in a room for three days and interviewed some of the best of the best in turkey hunting. And we broke it down by chapter. We started with um, explaining why we were there. And then we went to defining uh, the turkey hunter with Will Primos. We had him on and just laughed. And, you know, you got, everybody probably knows Will by now. He's uh, he's as magnanimous as they come. <laughs> so he came on and talked about kind of defining the turkey hunter and, and a lot of what a lot of work that the 10th legion did to do that Mm -hmm. and really defining the fact that the modern turkey hunter is such a young thing like the culture is so young if you if you're listening to this and you're 30 and you have a grandfather that was a turkey hunter that's a rare yeah that's incredibly rare so we wanted to put in perspective so we did that with will then we had uh the wild turkey doc everybody knows mike chamberlain by now we had him on to talk about defining the turkey what is the turkey What's its natural history? What's its biology? How does it see? How does it think? How does it move? What does it do? So we did that. Uh, then we went on to gear with Lake Pickle from Primos, yeah. uh, my favorite name in the in the entire turkey world. Lord of the memes. Lord of the memes. <laughs> Pickle. Uh, so yeah, we had Lake on, had a fun conversation about gear, just, just from start to finish. What gear do you need? What don't you need? Um, we had a, a 12 gauge, 20 gauge, 28 gauge debate which you'll probably love. Um, and then we moved on to calling with Aaron Warbritton from, I always get his name wrong, from uh, the hunting public. He's a master on the call. So he came in and gave us a full rundown of calls. Then we went into the turkey hunting playbook. And we did that with uh, Jason Hart from Nomad Hook. Uh, and we had two guys that had done the 49 state U.S. Super Slam. Uh, Jason, then we had Dave Owens come on. We had him talk about run and gun versus sit and get um, because I just felt like style, turkey hunting styles, once you kind of get into what's the playbook of turkey hunting, Mm -hmm. what do you do in this situation or that one? I think the follow-up to that is almost always like, what's your style? You run around like a crazy person or you sit tight? So we did that with Dave Owens from the Penhody Project, another 49-state turkey slammer. And then um, we had Jesse Griffiths, who's a chef from Austin, on to talk about cooking them. And so that was... I think it roughly turned out to be about nine and a half hours of turkey hunting. So we're releasing the first two two episodes are out now and releasing them uh, every other week, two at a time, for until uh, that'll that'll run us till around uh, the beginning of May, roughly. And so then we'll when we're done, we'll uh, those for folks that go to subscribe uh, at woodside.supercast.com is where you can go to to learn about and subscribe if you'd like. And for those that listen, we're going to do a couple Ask Me Anything podcasts afterwards. Oh, nice. Just to kind of clean up all the questions that will come. And so we'll be pulling in our pulling our guests back in and and doing some cleanup there and, and, and trying to make this be immersive and, and really, like I said, make it worth every dollar and every, you know, minute somebody's going to spend on yeah. it. Because there is, you know, we Sam and I both talking about this. Understand there's so much turkey knowledge out there. But it felt good to boil it, boil it into or microwave it and, and yeah. like vacuum seal it and package it up and say, like, if you listen to these eight hours, I feel very confident that you've gotten some really good perspective on where we sit in time and, and in terms of our turkey hunting world. And then, you know, how to do it. How to go it might and do behoove it. some of the uh, learn to hunt courses out there to go ahead and hit that seven dollar <laughs> subscribe button. See <laughs> yeah. if they can add to their curriculum. <laughs> See, I, I hope it's worth it. And for me, it was it was I learned a ton. 
uh, all those folks we talked to are amazing. Um, and they're all dedicated to this. And so to be around folks like that and to have them all say yes, Sam and I made a list of like, these are the seven or eight people we'd want to talk to. And all of them immediately said yes. Yeah. It's like to go, that goes just back to the Turkey and community is the best, uh, the best of the best. I even paid uh, Bruce Buffer on Cameo to, uh, to announce turkey season's beginning. It was, uh, def- I didn't know that was a cameo. Oh, I deal. paid that shit. I wish I could say I knew Bruce Buffer. I thought that, that was be, a hookup from That'd from be way Joe. cooler if I did. I probably could have done that. I felt like it was better if I just did it on cameo. But I, yeah, so in the first episode, you'll hear Bruce Buffer announcing turkey season, uh, turkey season's beginning as a, as a way to kick it off. That's awesome. Um, so we have fun. Uh, I hope it's educational and fun for people. And again, it's, you know, I all I do is listen to podcasts, you know. So I was telling you, I'm, if I'm running the turkey camp, I'm usually running a turkey podcast. So this podcast, or you know, the Primos podcast, or THP, or man, all of them, Penhody Project, Spring Legion, all of them. I'm a I'm a nut for it. So yeah, it's good to it's good to be in that world and and think of myself as part of that. That's that's important to me. I feel like after our talk, our our podcast um, tech talk. At dinner, I feel like I <laughs> I may dabble back and listen to some because I miss it, man. Yeah, the audience knows my stance on it, where I'm at, and why I don't. Um, but I think now that I'm very cognizant of those those tendencies, that I uh, oh yeah, to listen to. Yeah, I think yeah. I could get back and and you know listen in and and be uh, be self aware. You know, just it's just weird stuff that happens as you. It's true. You get rapping here and you get passionate and <laughs> it's the verb is just flowing and 90 minutes has come and gone. Next thing you know, you, you sound like this, this and this. You're like, ah, you're an amalgam of all the people yeah. you listen to. Yeah. It's funny how podcasts do that. Um, I've experienced that on all levels and I, I, I've felt that a lot. Um, I had people, I spent a lot of time around Steve Ranella. Like over the last couple of years, we worked together for three plus years. Yeah, and he's like he has an like an infectious way of speaking. His cadence and, is, and so I would I still today sometimes catch myself. Go, oh, oh, yep, there it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you you know. I'm comfortable <laughs> at this point. If anything, I'm comfortable with speaking into a microphone. He's got a lot of like one-offs, man. Like fella or feller. Yeah, he's yeah. There's so many. There's a whole bunch. I bet you could just do. I've tried to don't even start saying them because then I'll, <laughs> I'll be back into the. But same thing with Rogan, man. I know I've yeah. known him forever, and and um, also listen to every one of his dang podcasts. So it's like you can't do any. You can't do it. It changes how you perceive things. It really does. Um, and so it's an important. It's an important. Uh, way to make a living that's for sure if people are going to listen and take yeah. some cues off you that's that's pretty cool i'm excited for for the uh the nine hour deal i will consume that and and, and then some will yeah. primos uh is i could listen to him <sighs> i could just listen to him oh he he's just such an awesome awesome man oh uh, he just yeah i mean he seems like he's aging backwards yeah he's got he's the benjamin button of turkey I mean, yeah he looks like he's 30 yeah uh and he speaks and acts like he's 30 he's the most energetic he's actually i think has he has a place here or something he's like let's go ah, i'm gonna go to bozeman let's let's go on a turkey hunt you know like, you're not tired of turkeys yet are you you know because i always think about that i'm like if i go this hard for the rest of my life well i'll be tired of it at some point i think if we go this hard for you won't because yeah. you're just an addict if i had like nine states for the rest of my life every year like when i'm will's age will i be looking to slow her down and will it's certainly not. And I was just talking to Tom Kelly's manager. Shout out to old David Clark down there in Florida. 
and got to know him um, from my uh, time talking to Tom. And he's like, Tom's out hunting right now. So, yeah, Tom Colonel Tom Kelly, 94 years old. Yeah, that's awesome. As we speak, I think, as we speak, if, if not, like just this last week, was out hunting. I think in Mississippi, they told me. Um, he was out hunting somewhere. He's 94. He ain't tired of it. And when I asked him, I went to his apartment in Maryland and asked him, like, what would you say to the last turkey that you ever got to hunt? And he said uh, something something to the lines of, I tell him I wish you weren't the last one. Yeah. <laughs> I wish there was one behind you. Mm. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Hopefully I get there. I imagine I will, given how much I care about this whole thing. What do you think the... That's a Steve thing. Parting thoughts. I almost said it. <laughs> concluder, he said. Yeah, concluder. Uh, w- what do you think uh, is next up for? It's kind of a big question. Maybe it's unfair to ask, but turkey hunting in general, like what's what's the next big thing for our community? And whether it's habitat restoration or, you know, everyone's we're dialing in conservation dollars and really taking a hard look regionally at places. But I. I yeah. suspect there's something bigger on the horizon for probably, this group. Probably. I, and in I, a good way. Yeah, in a good way. I this is just how I think. I'm I'm as a somebody who thinks about conservation, I tend to think of it in kind of broad cultural senses, mm. kind of the impact of how our culture kind of shifts and changes what we do. I we talk about this in dinner, but I do I've seen in the West and I've seen in the Midwest, everywhere I've been, I've seen kind of the inroads of turkey hunting. But the access, because in the West and a lot of in the big game spaces that we run, that I run, hunting is you need to understand point systems. You need to understand uh, tag draws, lotteries. You need to understand like trophy units versus non-trophy units. All of these things, as good as they are for the for the management of these wildlife species, are roadblocks mm-hmm. in somebody's desire to go. Turkey hunting is so accessible, so utilitarian in that way. It, I think it's the Trojan horse for for not only folks like we've been talking about that aren't hunters, um, but also for folks that are are really serious whitetail hunters, really serious duck hunters. Where like this, turkey hunting, I think culturally is is one of the Trojan horses of of the overall hunting lifestyle. I mean, it is. It happens at a wonderful time of year. It is so approachable. It's so so cheap relative to mm-hmm. that. The access is there. The populations are there for now. And organizations like the NWTF are there to kind of keep us on track with conservation and recruitment of young folks and, and you know, emergent hunters and all those things. So I think where we're headed is a really positive direction. I'm excited by what you've told me and, 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 you know, the examples out there in LA and, you know, folks like that, that are just, I said it last week, you know, I I feel like Turkey hunting and I say this as a a positive thing. This isn't meant to take a a bad thing. It's like one of the most punk rock things uh, we can do. It's so cool, man. And yeah, it's awesome. I've seen it in my life. I've seen people take to it so quickly. Um, and, and again, when we were, we were recording Roost, most of those folks I mentioned are based in the South. Mm. And a lot of them, for good reason, are focused on the right things, which are why are the populations declining in some of the southern states like Arkansas and Mississippi and other places? Why is that happening? You know, let's talk about poult recruitment. Let's talk about predation. Let's talk about, you know, deforestation and, and forest management. Let's talk about all those things. Totally. Fully not arguing against that at all. That's that's paramount. 
But that there are other places in the world where that is not. Go to Oregon. Go to Southern Oregon. Go to Medford. And, and ask them about turkey populations. They got them coming out of their ears. Yeah. Don't go there because I'm going to go there this year. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, there is everything. There's ebbs and flows in the broader turkey population, but there's also regional ebbs and flows that I think are important to consider um, in terms of, of the culture and the people and what's there and what we, what we can, for lack of a better term, harvest from these places where people are want, people want this. And even the people that don't know they want it. Or like we yeah. can, we can go out and bring it to them. So I think that's future turkey hunting. I think we certainly the the center of gravity in turkey hunting is in the south. It's probably in Edgefield, you know, where NWTF is based. But I do think the future is, is we should be able to expand those things. Maybe we can even teach New Zealanders how to turkey hunt. I don't want them. I want to go over there and cheat. It. That's yeah. an expensive plane ride. You want to anyway. go over there and put the ghillie suit on and like I, sit on the front porch. I don't want to pay uh, tar money for a Marion's. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. We can be selfish when it comes to New Zealand. <laughs> but yeah, that's so to me, that's that like this thing is um, I'm biased, but I, I, I've seen it. I've seen it change people. I've seen it. Um, be accepted in places where you just would never have yeah. thought. And I've seen this Western turkey hunting thing take off um, where it was almost, almost never be in my my earlier experience in my life, almost never be something you thought about. And now we're here and turkey season is like a prelude to bear season. Yeah. You know, and it's so awesome out uh, here. I love it, dude. You can you, you can can't do it over turkey. here. You can kill or, a turkey and a bear on the same day. Awesome. <laughs> it's so great. So for me, I mean, I don't have a close segment turkey hunting, but it's definitely bear. Yeah. And I yeah. love where you're at. I yeah. love shooting bears. Where you're at for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so spring bear hunting is very appealing to it. me. It's delicious and it's just the best. No. So I love those things. And um, I, I meter my life out by season, right? I'm like mm-hmm. Christmas season is really priest turkey season. January, February, I like ice fish and ski while I'm thinking about turkeys. And then turkeys go till about middle of may and then i give myself about a month to think about bears and then i'm into fishing and and foraging and catching crawl daddies with my boys and doing all that thing and then oh next thing you know it's august and it's antelope and september i mean it's just such a beautiful way to that's like the cadence of my life right now especially living here is just so yeah cool. being a resident makes that a hell of a lot easier that's it lucky does. it's it nice do. to have those rest it resources do. as a boy from maryland i'm just like man <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool. And I, my perspective is like, I don't know. I've only been here a couple of years. So people say there's more people than there ought to be. I'm like, I don't know. A lot less people in other places I've been. It's a considerable amount of construction going on. There is. Things are going up into the air here, it yeah. seems to be, and not just the mountains. So it is a problem. We talked about that earlier. This is a whole other podcast about hunter recruitment and balancing yeah, balancing those numbers. But I, I think you can do it. I think it can be done, and I'm not scared to take. If that's a task as honor, I got to take on as somebody who thinks about this a lot. If that's if that's the challenge I'm given, if somebody says, you know what, you want to promote hunting, well, you better promote it the right way, and you better make it sustainable. I'm like, all right, mm. challenge accepted. Let's yeah. go. Let's do it right. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't want to ever shut it down just because we're not able to, to approach it correctly. Um, and I can tell you, as somebody who hunts public land, pretty much. 100% of the time out here, it is sometimes it's a rodeo and you're not super happy on opening day rifle yeah. with what's there. But to me, the people have as much right to be there as the elk. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And the turkeys, you got to do it that way. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm loving this. I'm loving this hunting life. I, I am. I grew up idolizing Mike Waddell and Stan Potts and Will Primos. And, um, 
it's cool to be in that arena. Yeah. Well, you got a hell of a platform and I'm happy for you and, and you're doing great things. You don't need me to tell you that, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's important to say it here and, um, go, uh, go download, go subscribe to Roost. Listen to him and Sam for nine amazing hours and leave you wanting more. Deep. Check out the uh, the new podcast as well. Where uh, where can they find you elsewhere yeah. if need be? Yeah, Benny OB three hundred one. You know you make your Instagram handle. You don't know you're going to say it on a podcast, but uh, <laughs> Benny OB three hundred one on Instagram. That you can find the link for um, our premium stuff there, and you can find our podcast anywhere you can you can download any podcast, including this one. And um, I'll say thanks to man. It's I've been working with NWTF in many regards for a long time, and uh, man, I can't. I can't think of a better way to spend your life doing what you're doing. Working for that organization, talking turkeys all the time. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. Traveling around. Yeah. So uh, congrats on that. You're living the dream. And uh, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks for covering on the time. Sweet. Good luck this season. Thank you. Thank you again to our guest, Ben O'Brien, for making the time, spending uh, an afternoon with us there in, in his uh his area of Montana. I know uh scheduling this time of year becomes frantic sometimes and uh he was still able to carve out a little bit for us. So so thank you, Ben, for that. And uh man, I hope you guys enjoyed that. It's I, I enjoy bringing different perspectives, different trains of thought uh to this. It's not always the same stuff. And I know some of it can be repetitive at times. But uh, Ben is is not that. And if you've ever listened to any of his his, uh, his his more seasoned work, if you've listened to any of his new stuff, I think you know that. And that's why I, I certainly appreciate about him. And it's not a cookie cutter way of of looking at at our world, at conservation, at hunting in totality. And um, Ben and and folks like him and, and people that are able to sit down and look at all sides and consider different perspectives give me a whole lot of hope for for our community and the survivability of it and uh oh, what we do at the nwtf you know the preservation of our hunting heritage it's good stuff it's exciting stuff and uh you know good good on ben for for seeing opportunity and and being able to uh you know with his platform and and his resources really engage a whole new level, a whole new understanding and, and audience um, and welcoming them into to our hunting community. Um, and then his outstanding storytelling ability. So uh, we talked about it in the in the program. I'd encourage you all to uh, check out his his podcast. If you're so inclined, um, definitely subscribe to Roost. There's some great guests we talked about there. And uh, I'm certainly going to go on and and download some of that. Um that content because it's just going to be entertaining stuff and still here in the Northeast, we're not open. And, you know, if you're looking for something to get you fired up, nothing like listening to Ben O'Brien and, and, and Sam Saholt and, and Will Primos talking about turkey hunting. Right. So uh, awesome stuff there. Uh, guys, we're, we're in it. Um, I hope you're enjoying your turkey seasons where, where you're open. Uh, continued success. We're moving south to north and west so uh things are opening up everywhere and it's an it's it's an exciting time uh to to be a turkey hunter (laughs) 
go out there and enjoy it. Find a place where NWTF has planted a, a flag and done some cooperative work or, you know, volunteers have gone out and turned dirt and, and go kill turkeys on it because <laughs> that's what we're doing. Um, we got a cool 5K race going on, guys. Just launched. So I'd encourage you to uh, to register for that. It's uh $35 gets you your adult membership, gets you a finisher medal and a race bib. Uh, and for another 10 bucks, you get a real cool race t-shirt, limited uh, limited edition t-shirt there, moisture wicking, tech wear, all that kind of fancy stuff that uh, that us runners like to have. So uh, go check that out. Some other cool projects coming down the line here. Pretty quick order. Um Got some great video content from from our our different friends and family throughout. So make sure you're getting uh, on on our YouTube channel, checking out our social feeds. It's just content rich right now, and um, there's a lot of it. So take take the time to enjoy it. the The artistry uh, of that storytelling uh, as well, and you know, go go follow those folks and, and give them all the likes and then things like that. Um, support them because they're they're doing a, a magnificent job of telling our story and, and we certainly appreciate those partnerships. That's going to be it. I'm going to keep it short and sweet this week. Um, next week, we're going to keep it close to my home. We're going to go sit down with uh, Olympic snowboarder, all around good guy and one hell of a, a, a deer and turkey hunter, uh, New Hampshire's own Scotty Lago. Um, so I'm looking forward to bringing that to you guys. Until then, be good, be safe, take care of each other, love each other. It's remaining crazy out there, so control what you can control locally and, and uh, you know, hug the ones you love and, and kill turkeys. <laughs> Until next time, guys, we'll catch up with you. See you.